God is ready to forgive your sin. You just need to turn to him. Pastor Ed Ray explains. We run to Jesus, who is our city of refuge, who is a strong tower. We will be safe. No matter what law, what sin, there is no sin so dark that God can't forgive it. The only sin he can't forgive is you failing to come to him and surrender, rejecting the Holy Spirit over and over again, right to the very end. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I say let this world know me by your the forgiveness of sin, it's been said, is man's greatest need and God's greatest accomplishment. Someone else said, if God can get us saved, he can keep us saved all the way to heaven. You know, it's a reassuring truth, and it's our focus today on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. We're so glad you've joined us as we delve into this great salvation God has accomplished. But what if someone's not interested? Or what if someone else has fallen? We'll find some answers in Hebrews 6, and we invite you to join us there. Picking up in verse 6 with our first answer, here's Pastor Ed. If one falls, it doesn't mean they can't repent. Thief on the cross, last minute. He's our hope, too, to see him next to Jesus. Did everything wrong. Really poor church attendance. Shortest prayer, shortest sinner's prayer I've ever heard. I get criticized for doing a short sinner's prayer. His was, remember me, Lord, when you get to your kingdom. He said, you're in. <laughs> Here, read this pamphlet. I'm not going to church. He's not going to Sunday school. He's not even moving. He's just going to die right where he is. But the grace of God, the gift of God, is all we all have to hope in that God would take our stumbling, falling, halting actions and thoughts and cleanse them by the blood of the Lamb. But that's what he says he does. That's the good news. So, again, the problem is not God's mercy. The problem is we harden our heart. We keep pushing God away. But sometimes things draw us back, you know? That little C word. I'm sorry, sir, you have cancer. That'll get your attention. I'm sorry, sir, you are going to lose your liver. God has all kinds of ways to get my attention, yours too. Not that I have any of those things yet, but we're all facing them someday. Nobody gets out alive, have you noticed that? Verse 7. For the earth, and now he uses a metaphor, a picture. It's actually a picture from the sower, the parable of the sower. The earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it bears herbs useful to those, the farmer who is cultivating it, and he receives a blessing from God. He recognizes it's God's blessing. But if it bears thorns and briars, thistles, thorns, it is rejected and near to being cursed. It's useless, and the farmer will burn it. Why? Because... It's Darnell seed, and it's an annual. It just keeps going back and forth into perennial annual. And so you got weeds. So how do you stop them? You burn it. That's the picture. 
So that's what Jesus said. There's four kinds of soil, and the soil that receives the seed, the Word of God, has thorns and thistles in it. And you grow up like my friend did, and the weeds choke it out. The cares of this world have choked out the Word of God. He needs a fresh infusion of God's Word. Maybe you do too. Glad you're here this morning. Verse 9. But, beloved, here's the whole pivotal verse of this chapter. You who are loved by God, God loves you. We are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, the things that accompany salvation. Though we speak in this particular manner about the bad things, dear friends, even though we are talking like this, we really don't believe it applies to you. What? That's what the author says. This isn't for you because you receive salvation. God has saved you. And because you are saved, this warning just moves you to share with other people more. Things concerning you, better things are coming to you. Verse 10, for God is not unjust to forget your work, what you've done. He gets credit for it because he changed our hearts so that we want to do it. This labor of love, showing love, people in this service who go down to Mexico once a month with Pastor Bob and, and go to battered women's shelters and take care of the kids down there. And some of you, I see a couple of guys from, who take pickup trucks loaded with food down once a month to the most desperate orphanages in Baja. That's a good work. That's a great work that God is doing through you. God's not going to forget that. Remember, good works are the result of salvation. It happens in us, and then we want to do these things. You have ministered to the saints and do minister. You continue to this day, verse 11. We desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. Go, just serve God until he takes you home. Patience, hang in there. That's what this is talking about. Having a rough day, having a rough week, having a rough year. These next few verses are for you. That you do not become slugger, don't turn into a slug, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. They receive God's promises that he, he will never leave you or forsake you. For, verse 13, when God made a promise to Abraham, and he uses the father of the faith. Father Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, God swore by himself. He's talking about Genesis chapter 22. But he also mentions it in 12, 15, and 17. So God told Abraham he's going to have a son. So a lot of people have babies, 75 years old. Well, not too many. How about 100 years old? Because that's what it ends up before he gets his son. His wife laughed at him. <laughs> But here's what it says in Genesis 22 about Abraham. God said, I've sworn to myself, says the Lord, because you have done this thing, offered your son. He's up on Mount Moriah with his son because he believed God was going to bring nations out of his son. You have not withheld your son, your only son, that in blessing I will bless you and in multiplying I will multiply you. Your seed like the stars of the heaven, like the sands of all the seashores on the world. Your seed, Jesus, shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. That's for you, believer. That's what a believer is, someone who believes what God says is true. Saying, surely, blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you. God wants to bless your life. 
It is God's desire to give you as much as you can handle. Well, bring it on, pastor. Billions. (laughs) No, it's not necessarily money. But he wants to bless your life so you'll be a blessing to others so others see what God is doing in your life and they're attracted to him. You are a witness. So don't think of God as this stingy guy in heaven is holding back from you becoming everything you want to be. No, no, you need to ask for you becoming everything he wants you to be. It'll be a lot better anyway. Some of you he will bless financially. Maybe you already are and you're enjoying that. Well, praise God that he can trust you with it. What does that say about the rest of us? (laughs) Don't give him a loaded gun. So, you don't give matches to a baby. 15. And so, after he has patiently endured, Abraham obtained the promise. He received this. Patiently endured, 100 years old. <laughs> Lord, please don't let me go that long. Verse 16. So, men for men. Indeed, swear by the greater. When we go to court, you put your hand on the Bible, I swear. Tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth. That's all we can do, but an oath for confirmation is then the end of all dispute. I really mean it. I swear by it. But God does otherwise. He swears by himself. We swear by the temple in those days, my mother's honor. A stack of Bibles, for some reason I hear people say, as if one wasn't enough. God backs it up with his own integrity, and he hears every word we say. Now, four word pictures for you who are in the storm, who need to be reminded about the promise and the refuge and the anchor and the forerunner. This is great stuff. Remember, here's at the end of the chapter that most people say is the most difficult word. Verse 17, thus God, determining to shore more abundantly to the heirs of promise. That would be you, believer, an heir of God's promise. I will never leave you and forsake you of the immutable, immutability, unchangeableness of his character, of his counsel, of what he says, of his promises, confirmed it by an oath. His promises to you are yes and amen. Scripture tells us that whatever he says is going to happen. If you would confess with your mouth, your lips, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you are saved. Romans 10, verse 9. Not a maybe, not a possibility. It's done. It's set in stone. Believe it. God said it. Hey, thanks for joining us today for Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. He's been encouraging us from Hebrews chapter 6 to believe God's promise. To illustrate how the promises of God work their way out in an individual life, once again, here's Pastor Ed. God promises things to you that you maybe aren't even sure that it was him, but you know about him. I don't know what they are in your life. I was reading this week about a man who received a promise when he was in grade school. The interesting promise, because we usually think of a, a promise from God, a calling in a life as something more spectacular, like a Billy Graham evangelist or, you know, a pastor, something spiritual. But at the time of his death, 16 years ago, this man's work appeared in more than 2,600 newspapers worldwide. It was the basis of a franchise that earned a billion dollars a year. 
Since its modest debut in seven papers on October 2nd in 1950, his comic strip became a constant feature of daily life for nearly 50 years. Ironically, the man's work should never have been noticed. He earned his training through a correspondence school, and he got a C in the correspondence school for drawing children. The tall, skinny kid at St. Paul High School was a lousy student, but he said he had hope that God had given him a talent, an ability to draw cartoons. It was his gangly cartoons that would be accepted for print. In fact, it would go to 2,600 newspapers. And this artist, even though he was turned down by his own high school yearbook, that's an insult, Charles Schultz became the most famous cartoonist in the world because he understood that God had called him to do something. So, it's not necessarily some giant spiritual calling. It's just being obedient to whatever God promised you. He believed that God promised him he would be a cartoonist, and what a cartoonist he was. Raylan and I visited his house years ago in Sebastopol. Very godly man. Really loved the Lord. God confirmed it with this oath that says, okay, so first the promise, verse 18 that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation, be convinced. We who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. We have these promises, so we run to a city of refuge. So reminding you, the city of refuge was a place you could go when you were guilty of a sin that was worth capital punishment outside the walls of the place of refuge. You are a sinner. I am a sinner. We are saved by grace. But we are guilty, and so we deserve death. Romans 3 says, but if we run to Jesus, who is our city of refuge, who is a strong tower, we will be safe. No matter what law, what sin, there is no sin so dark that God can't forgive it. The only sin he can't forgive is you failing to come to him and surrender, rejecting the Holy Spirit over and over again right to the very end. You have to step over the broken body of Jesus Christ to get to hell. Was that strong enough? <laughs> so a couple of you wince. That's okay. That's the reality of it. Eternity hangs on what you do with Jesus Christ, what I've done with Jesus Christ. You mean you don't deserve it, Pastor? Please, that's what I'm trying to say. None of us here deserve it. We deserve eternal destruction but we have the gift of eternal life and blessings in this life on through eternity because we've run to a city of refuge, a place of refuge whose name is Jesus, who is also our great kahuna, the high priest. So he's the sacrifice, and he's the high priest, and he never dies. We're in. Can we depend on that? You bet you can. Lay hold of the hope. Now, the word hope is an interesting one. It's a nautical term. It means an anchor rope, and it's a setup for the next verse. Because the next verse is talking about the anchor. Look at verse 19. This hope we have is an anchor for the soul. 
This anchor rope that we have is attached to an anchor for our soul. The word soul is also translated the word life, for your life, for my life. God has given you an anchor rope to him, the anchor that's lodged in heaven, and it will last. This is from the catacombs in Rome. There are more than 66 crosses we found so far. We were there last spring. Some of you in this service were with us. They're all carved into stone in the catacombs underneath Rome, maybe even by some of the people that received this letter because it was during Nero's persecution that they started hiding out and having services in the catacombs. If you would go to Israel with us and we go up to Gordon's tomb, the garden tomb, we believe it's where Jesus was buried. Stand in front of the door, look up high left. There's an anchor carved into the stone because the early church met there. This symbol became a symbol of hope. If you've been here a while, you know that the word hope means an anticipation of coming good, an assurity, a certainty that it's going to happen. The anchor for your soul is sure it will hold on and it's steadfast for all of eternity. Jesus will get you into eternity because he's already in heaven. He's the anchor and he's throwing you a rope if you're a believer. That's the picture. How bad is it right now in your life? A couple ladies came up after the service last night. It's the worst year of her life, she said. Got a son that doesn't want to live. Got a husband that doesn't want to stay with her. Got her own issues with cancer. She needs an anchor. She needs a sure place to go, a refuge. She needs a promise from God that it's going to last. So the anchor holds in the storm. And that actually leads to the last verse. Where the forerunner has entered for us. Even Jesus, having become the high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. What's that got to do with an anchor, Pastor? It's the word forerunner. It's more than a Toyota. This is a picture of the harbor at Troas that Paul left from to go to Europe. Here's another shot of the same thing. Notice the rocks in the water. The old building is from a second century Roman stronghouse. But the rocks in the water are there purposefully. They were set there because when you come in in a sailing boat, the winds are usually against you. They're not prevailing winds. They're coming down from the steppes of Russia. It's called the Euroclidon. It's mentioned in the book of Acts. And it wants to push you away from this shore. So what do you do when you're in a two-masted sailing ship and you pull into Troas Harbor and you can't get any closer than 300 feet because the winds are buffeting you back and forth? Well, you take out a forerunner. A Toyota? No. You take out a little skiff. That's what a forerunner is. And you put it in the water, put your best rower in it, put a rope in with him that's attached to the main ship, and he rows the forerunner up to one of these rocks, ties it around the rock several times, several knots, goes back to the ship with the rope, hands the rope up, and all the people on board grab a hold of the rope, and they pull themselves into the harbor. I said, the anchor is in heaven. Hope that God has given you is the rope for the anchor. The forerunner is Jesus Christ himself who went before us and tied a sure, steadfast rope to an anchor sitting next to him, sitting on the throne. And he pulls us and he drags us. Some of us battered and beat up. How bad is the storm in your life? 
But the sails are torn. How torn are they? Well, they're about the size of an old T-shirt. <laughs> but the waves are coming over. I don't know if I can make it. You can make it because God will take you there. The anchor holds because the anchor is the creator of the universe, the one who made all this, the one who died for you, the one who loves you, who wants you to spend eternity with you. So I'm speaking on two levels. I'm speaking to those of you that just feel like this is the worst day, the worst week, the worst month, the worst year, the worst decade of your life. The anchor holds. He will hold. He will get you home. Yeah, the boat might be beat up. might be holes in it. You might be taken on water. Mainsail may be broken. You're just working on a little foresail. It's a little tiny one with a T-shirt strung on it. But it's not propelling you anyway. It's God dragging you by his grace and by his love into heaven. And I'm speaking on a second level to those of you who are struggling with letting God, whether he can be trusted, because bad things have happened to you. Guess what? They happen to everybody. No one is immune from pain, struggles. Some of us get bitter, but then God makes us better. True story. Close with this. Wilbur Chapman, pastor, died in 1918. Great pastor, great author. His books are read by other pastors all over the world to this day. I was in the old soldier's home in Erie, Pennsylvania. This is him writing. They had in that institution the captain of the old 1855 ironclad Merrimack. That was the southern boat that had been, the frigate that had been turned into a, the first iron boat on the south, the USS Virginia. He came into the institution as an atheist, the captain of this boat. He never would come to the services, and when he was asked to read the Bible, he just scorned the thought of it. But then death was coming coming near to him. So I went to his room with the Bible and said, Captain, would you like to read the Bible? And he scorned it again. It looked as though it was useless to say anything to him, but I pressed on. Suppose you read this Bible and see whether there's anything in it that you could possibly believe. And if there's not, then you just tell me so. But if when you read, you find something that you think you might receive, take this red pen and mark that verse in red ink. He thought that was a good way for him to prove that there was nothing in the Bible for him. I had him begin with the Gospel of John. He read two chapters without marking anything, he said. And he began to move on to the third chapter, and he read the first 15 verses of John 3 without being moved. But then he got to the 16th verse, that God so loves the world. And then the old captain underlined that verse in red. He said he could receive a text like that. In the room where the old captain finally died a few weeks later, there was still a plasterboard anchor the old man had cut out for himself. Also, there were these words written on it in his own hand in red ink. I have cast anchor in a safe harbor. Have you? You're listening to Pastor Ed Ray on Growing Grace. And we're going and growing through the book of Hebrews, one verse at a time. You can listen to this program again on our website at thepackinghouse.org. We can also send you a CD copy. For this and other Christ-centered resources, go online to thepackinghouse.org or call 
844-77-GRACE. That's toll-free, 844-77-GRACE. At Grow in Grace, we're committed to delivering God's Word from Genesis to Revelation so that nothing is left out. We're grateful to the Lord when we hear of men and women that are growing in grace as a result of listening. And if that's happening in your life, would you please let us know? As this study of Hebrews continues, we want to hear from you. Email us today at packinghouseradio at aol.com. That's packinghouseradio at aol.com. And we'd also very much appreciate your financial support. Lives are being impacted, people are growing in grace, and your gifts help to make this possible. When you give today, you're invited to request a copy of Elizabeth Elliot's book, Through Gates of Splendor. In January of 1956, five missionaries gave their lives in the jungles of Ecuador and made the headlines around the world. You'll be encouraged and blessed as you read this compelling and inspirational true story. Allow it to spark a passion in your life to get the gospel of Jesus out to those who are without Christ. It's yours for a gift of any amount, so call us right now at 844-77-GRACE. This program is listener-supported and brought to you by the Packinghouse Christian Fellowship in Redlands. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place God will dwell with man. Sit be healed and the crippled stand, singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said let this world know me by your 